Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, picking it up. We left off last Lord's Day at verse 21, and we'll be reading verses 21 through 34 this morning. This evening we begin a series of messages on prayer. Pray that uh, your heart will seek to be in God's presence in regards to this issue as well, for the glory and honor of God's worship. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Thus far the reading of God's word. Once again, bow in prayer. Merciful Heavenly Father, we again give you thanks this day for this privilege that we have to gather as your people in worship. And Father, Father, as we look forward to the preaching of your word, we pray, Father, that you would calm our hearts and minds, that all of our affections and all of our thoughts would be trained on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, that we would see that through this story, we too have been raised from the spiritual dead and given life. And Father, we just give you the praise and the glory. All this we pray in his name. Amen. And amen. Three things. First of all, a simple contrast that we find here. Secondly, a desperate father. Thirdly, a suffering woman. The simple contrast is this. When we leave off uh, the episode that took place in the first part of chapter 5, the people of the Gadarenes there were saying, go away. 
We don't want anything to do with you. They had just experienced and witnessed Christ's awesome power in delivering this man who had a legion of demons. They had just seen the power. They had seen the destruction of that herd of pigs, or at least had heard about it. Now witness the man that used to live amongst the tombs, crying out, cutting himself, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And yet their response is, go away. The contrast is, as we come to these verses, there is a call to come. This man with his sick little daughter implores Jesus. Come, come to my home, come to my house, come and heal. A simple contrast, but what a difference and what a distinction. Think of all the blessings then that these people there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee miss out on. Because they do not come to Christ. But all the blessings, all the blessings that we're going to find in this latter section of this chapter that are for those who ask Jesus to come. But actually, as you, you look through this, the, even this account, there's all sorts of contrasts taking apart. We're going to meet a 12-year-old girl, little girl, young girl. We're going to meet an older woman who has been suffering for 12 years. We're going to meet a man who is well-known in the community, who has lots of friends, who has power and position and wealth. And we meet a woman who is alone and poor. There's all sorts of interesting contrasts. A man who openly asks Jesus to come, a woman who tries to hide from Jesus. So even as we go through it, just, just on your own, be thinking of the contrast that we find here in this particular selection. But secondly, we meet than this desperate father. And I want you to note, first of all, this man's position. We are told, first of all, that this man was one of the rulers of the synagogue. That's the first thing we learn about him. We, we don't learn about the daughter. We, we learn about the man. And that which we learn about the man is the man's position. Now, there is quite a bit of feeling amongst commentators that he not only is one of the rulers, but is perhaps the head of that. You see, synagogues were operated by a board of elders, a board of elders who are responsible for worship decisions, what, what's going to happen in worship. They're the ones who are in charge of regulating worship, not unlike our elders of our churches today. Secondly, they were 
those who made decisions about the speaker, who's going to be invited to speak, who is going to be invited to talk, not unlike elders of today as well. And they were men who were responsible for making sure all the building decisions were made as well, which included appointing someone to be basically in charge of the synagogue which seems to be the position that this man is in. The point of all of that is that his position means he is a very public figure. Everybody knows him. Everybody knows who this is. He's the public face of the synagogue. He's the, as it were, the identity of the synagogue. He probably is dressed in pretty fine clothing. He is a man who perhaps has some wealth, some prestige, some honor in that community. The second thing we learn about this desperate father is his need. He has a little girl. If you read the account in Luke, Luke tells us that it is his only daughter. There are some who believe, and some of your versions might actually interpret that phrase as his only child, which certainly seems to fall in line with what is happening here. A man with his only child who is ill, who is sick. Oh, she's more than that. Look at verse 23. She is at the point of death. I think many of you have experienced within the past couple of weeks watching your sick children. It is no fun. It is no picnic. And our children are dealing with things like the flu, Coughs, cold, runny noses, they cough and we hear that rattle deep within their chest and we're just going, oh, our heart aches. And we've probably said to ourselves, oh, I wish I, I could have that. Well, God granted it, you got it. You dealt with it and then you stop to think and how bad you feel, how awful you feel and then think, my little child was dealing with this. I'm a grown-up and I'm suffering. What must it have been like for them? Or for you as grandparents, seeing your grandchildren go through these things. But we know most of these are not at the point of death. We feel it, but we're not really there. This man is dealing with a daughter who is at the point of death. And as we will come to next week, that's not just some euphemism, because next week, the Lord willing, when we come back to this event, she dies. So she's not just at the point of death in terms of, yeah, we think she's going to die. No, there's a, a real likelihood she is going to die soon. But imagine this father, right, as he sees the boat 
coming across the Sea of Galilee again and somebody cries out, it's Jesus, he's returned. And how this man makes his way down to that shore, wanting to be amongst the first to greet, to welcome, because his situation is indeed so desperate. We meet a desperate father. Not only do we learn about his need, not only his position, but we also learn about his faith. See, there's something going on here that, that, that is more, well, does he believe Jesus is going to heal? Yes, obviously, because he's coming. He, he's making that request. But I want you to understand there is something even deeper what is taking place. Jesus said, whoever wants to meet my disciple has to, what? Deny themselves. See, what you need to see is the self-denial of this father. Who is he? He's the leader of the synagogue. And yet he needs to come and beg at the feet of Jesus. He has reached the point where he is empty. There is nothing else he can do. There is no doctor to go to. There is no medicine to give. And he is willing to come to Jesus as denying of self as that is. He is the ruler of the synagogue, but he cannot heal his daughter. He is the observer of observer of Jewish law, but he cannot heal his daughter. And here comes this Nazarene. Oh, popular amongst the people, Mark has, has given us that. The people are, are welcoming Jesus with open arms. Luke records to us the crowd is there on the seashore waiting for Jesus to welcome him. But not religious leaders. Now they've already been pecking away at Jesus. So who controls his synagogue position? The Jewish leaders. And here he comes, walking up to Jesus. Oh, here's going to come another encounter. I'll bet this is going to be another challenge. I'll bet, he's got, I'll bet he's got one of those questions he's going to ask Jesus to try to shame Jesus. Or he's going to lay a charge and level a charge against Jesus. I'm sure the Pharisees would be smiling and the other religious leaders would be very smug seeing this Jewish religious synagogue leader coming and challenging Jesus would certainly do well to uphold his position. Probably give him the job for years to come. But do you see what he does? Rather than challenging Jesus, rather than mocking Jesus, rather than ridiculing Jesus, rather than testing Jesus, he implores Jesus. He might as well write his own firing. The job is gone. The prestige is going to be gone. The honor is going to be gone. The income is going to be gone. He did what? He went to Jesus and what? 
He denies himself. He picked up his own cross. And he comes to Jesus. He aligns with Jesus. He cast his lot with Jesus. He sides with Jesus. He puts his trust in Jesus. He seeks Jesus. That is why you read in verse 24, and he went with him. A desperate father, a man of faith, and Jesus went with him. Beautiful words, are they not? What hopeful words, are they not? A man who has, who has just emptied himself. Whoever comes to me, even as I prayed a while ago, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. You see this man's heart beating so hard on this walk? He's coming. Jesus is going to heal my daughter. This is not a question in his mind. This is belief. And then, an interruption. We meet then, in the midst of this, a suffering woman. We learn about her condition. We are told here that she had a discharge of blood. And she's been dealing with it as long as the synagogue's ruler, little girl, has been alive. Luke, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 15, 25 through 27 reminds us of the fact that one who is under this condition is cut off from the people. She is considered unclean. She is not allowed at synagogue. She's not allowed at temple. She's not allowed to present offerings. She is to be considered an outcast. If she had family, she's an outcast from them as well, although the passage doesn't really seem to indicate to us what is happening in that regard. What we do learn is that she had suffered much. Verse 26, she had suffered much under many physicians. Now, although some of you don't have this particular condition, I think you can appreciate that statement, right? Have suffered much. Let's try this. And then the side effects kick in. And it's like, you got to get me off this, doc. This is worse than the condition. Well, let's try this. So you're on this medication for a while. Or let's try this experimental surgery. Let's do this. Let's do that. She had suffered much. 
Actually, what's interesting is the Talmud had actually listed 11 cures for this woman's condition. So it's not like what this woman had. No, everybody's like, what she got? No, they, this, this was something that was happened, frequently must be, that it makes its way into the Jewish Talmud. Here were some of the things that could be tried. Take the gum of Alexandria, the weight of a small silver coin. Of alum, the same. Of crocus, the same. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman who has an issue of blood. It kind of sounds like some old wives' tale, but I'm not sure what that might do to the human body other than perhaps make you suffer much. The Talmud went on, if this does not benefit, take the, if this does not benefit, take of Persian onions three pints, boil them in wine and give her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. Three pints of boiled onions in wine. If this does not cure her, Set her in a place where two ways meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, and let someone come behind her and frighten her and say, Arise from thy flux. Sounds like we're trying to cure hiccups more than we're trying to deal with an issue of blood. In another place, the Talmud recommended that the afflicted woman carry a barley corn that had been taken from the droppings of a white she-donkey. I got to carry a bag of corn that came out of the donkey. Well, that'll surely cure you from she had suffered much. See all the different stuff they're trying? But part of the suffering, obviously, is not just the side effects. It's having your hopes dashed over and over and over again. This will do it. We're, we're almost guaranteed this will do it. We tried it with 90% of the women and it happens. Well, I must be one of the 10. That almost is more suffering than the condition itself. To recognize that you are in a, such a unique position that other people are healed by this, but you are not. Some of you know what this is like. But not only did she suffer much in that way, look at the end of 26, and had spent all she had. Some of you know what that's like too, right? Yes, doctor bill, doctor bill, doctor bill, doctor bill. Things you thought insurance was going to cover and then another bill. And so you make the call. Isn't this covered? No, that, this comes under an exclusion under such and such. Another bill. So much so that she had spent all she had. She is now in poverty. But not only that, verse 26 says, and was no better, but actually grew worse. So she 
tried all these different recipes, gave away all her money, and rather than the condition improving somewhat, slightly, a little, it grew worse and worse. And because it's an issue of blood, it means she's losing strength. She's becoming weaker and weaker. The possibility of a healing becomes less and less and less because her own body does not even have what it takes to now take on the side effects of what is being tried. Her condition. Then we read of her thought. Verse 28. She has a little private confab in her mind. What am I going to do? Well, Jesus is here. Jesus heals people. I'll just go up and touch his garment. Luke seems to indicate to us it's probably one of the tassels. The bottom of Jewish men's garments were four tassels fashioned. And she's probably touching that because, you see, if you touch the, the, the robe itself, well, that, that, he might feel that. But that little tassel, you know, those little strings hanging there, I'm just going to touch those. He won't even notice. But if I just do all I need to do is touch the tassel. And I will be healed. Verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. The healing, it's immediate. The bleeding stopped. She felt this. She experienced this. She knew that that which she had been dealing with for 12 years, she knew that this condition, that she had spent all her money on. This condition that she had suffered much. This condition she had tried all these remedies for. This condition was now done. And she felt, she felt, she felt strength. She felt whole. She felt restored. Immediately. I'm sure most of these things that I read to you out of the Talmud were things like, okay, let's try this, but it's going to take you three months before we're ever going to know fully if this has done any good. You know what that's like, don't you, some of you? So i got to take this medicine for three months, and I'm, then we won't even know if this is going to cure me, if this is going to work. Yep, three months. Immediately she is healed. In an instant, in a moment, 
the healing comes. Now, all would be well and good because we're just walking along, right, with the synagogue leader on the way to his very ill daughter, a man of great faith that we have just looked at. Jesus is with him, all is well. A woman comes up, touches it. We're fine there until Jesus stops. Who touched me? The disciples in their typical fashion are like, what are you talking about? There's a crowd here. Everybody's pushing on you. What do you mean who touched you? But Jesus doesn't let it go. But the thing I want you to notice is there is a desperate father standing next to him. Why are we stopping? Why are you worried about this? But in the work of God, in the providence of God, in the truth of God, something needs to be dealt with. Something that is very vital to you and me. And as we begin a new year, something I lay before you that I think all of us, myself included, need to work on. What do you mean by that, Pastor Bob? Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Why does Jesus want to know? What's the point? Who's this for? Is this to solve some curiosity in Jesus? No. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Jesus knows who touched him. Jesus knows it's the woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. He's not going, man, there's a big crowd. I can't figure out which one of you actually was the one who touched me. He knows. Is it for the synagogue leader? Yes, in part. Because he's worried about a sick daughter. But this pause is going to give an even greater revelation of faith and of the power of Christ. But the real reason for the question is for the woman. Because remember there is a text it's found in the book of Romans. Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. She's been healed. But she has not yet acknowledged. She's been restored, but she has not yet confessed. See, where would we be? If Jesus just continued on to the synagogue leader's house and pays no attention to this woman. But you see, the compassion of Christ 
is to ask, who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus sought her out. Just like he seeks each one of us out. And then Jesus does something remarkable. To me, it's one of the most outstanding things of this text. He acknowledges her faith. And I say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus, right? Wait a minute, Jesus. Hold on. What does she know about you? And you're acknowledging her faith? Oh, if you have the faith, but like the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved, and it shall be moved. Folks, this woman does not have perfect faith. Thank God. Thank God that Christ doesn't only heal those who have perfect faith. Christ heals. Christ restores those with imperfect faith. That's this woman. We could go on and on and on about how imperfect this woman's faith is. Yet Jesus acknowledges it as faith. Imperfect faith is still faith. My imperfect faith is still faith. Your imperfect faith is still faith. There isn't some test of faith that somehow we, we have to have the head knowledge of or even the life knowledge of. The test of faith is simple. Do you deny yourself and come to Christ? Well, what's missing with this woman? She's come to Christ, but she's trying to do it under cover. How many of us don't live that way? We live with our faith under cover. In Christ this morning, is calling to each one of us, who touched me? Because you see what is required is for this woman to come forward, this woman to acknowledge, it was me. I was the one in need. I was the one who reached out to you. I was the one who was empty. Was at the end, but I came, I reached out to you.
You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Can you imagine the crowd? What kind of woman is this anyway? What kind of sneaky lady is this? Oh, that's that lady with the issue of blood. Away, away, don't touch her, don't touch her. Everybody, stay away from her. Oh, this is that person who did this 30 years ago. This is the person who did that 12 years ago. This is the person who hasn't been in church for 12 years. Stay away, stay away, stay away. She has to come forward. It was me. I touched you. It is one of the things of growing up in the church that we keep quiet and we just want to be in the crowd. We know we've been healed. We know Jesus has touched us. We know we've been saved. But we just don't want to step forward and acknowledge it. And Jesus is saying to you and to me today, who touched me? He wants us to deny ourselves, to step forward and to say, Lord, I was an unclean sinner. But I touched you. And I was healed. And do you notice when she comes forward, the change? Who touched me? To daughter. What an interesting term Jesus decides to use to call this woman. Daughter. Standing next to him on the other side is a desperate father thinking, yeah, I have a daughter too. Oh, look at the compassion of Christ. Daughter. Faith has made you whole. And then, you see, this is the reason why Christ calls her forward. This is the reason why you and I need to acknowledge that we were sinners saved by God's grace. This is why this is not something that we can keep quiet about. This is not something we can stay in the crowd with. This is something that we have to step forward with. Acknowledging our sin. Acknowledging our failures. Acknowledging it is Christ and Christ only who has saved us. Because then we hear this glorious message. A message she would not have heard if she had simply slunk into the crowd. Do you know what she would have lived with for the rest of her life? The guilt of having snuck up there and touched that tassel. The guilt of not knowing that she should have acknowledged Christ's power 
Instead, what does she receive? Go in peace. Greater words being spoken to you by God. It's okay. You and I are at peace. We're reconciled. We're whole. The relationship separated, decimated. By the Garden of Eden has made, been made whole. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. See, more than just this woman's physical healing, Christ bestows an eternal healing of peace. Step forward this year. Come out of the crowd. Acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done for you. And someone came and told the leader, don't bother the Savior anymore. Don't bother the Master your daughter's dead. Father, we thank you for your word. You have a plan and a purpose in all things. Lord,